Okay. Um, yeah, that's probably good enough. Uh, we'll just read through the passage uh, in entirety, Matthew 27, verses 1 to 31, um, so I can avoid taking my glasses on and off too much. Now, when the morning had come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. Then, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed and went away and hanged himself. And the chief priests took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temporary the temple treasury, since it is blood, the price of blood. And they counselled together, and with the money brought the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then, that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to them, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how, how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer, with regard to even a single charge, so that the governor was quite amazed. Now at the feast of the, the governor was accustomed to release for the multitude any one of the prisoners they wanted, and they were holding at the time a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. When, therefore, they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom did you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of the envy they had delivered him to up. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, have nothing to do with that righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that there was, he was accomplishing nothing, but rather that a riot was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the multitude, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas for them, but after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. And they stripped him and put on scarlet robes. And after weaving a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. 
And after they had mocked him, they took his robe off and put his garments on him and led him away to crucify him. Notes where I can see them. (laughs) So to get some context on this passage, we didn't cover the last part of 26, but the Passover's happened. Jesus has been betrayed in Gethsemane and he's been dragged off to trial uh, through the night, um, which is against the Jewish law, but nonetheless they chose to do that. Um, And Peter's denied Christ three times. Um, We probably shouldn't separate them at that chapter point because the first, uh, first ten verses is about Judas, who also betrayed Jesus. And part of it is a comparison between the two different responses to sin. So Jesus, when he realised he um, betrayed Jesus, he repented. He was, sorry, he was sorry for the sin that he committed. But Judas, when he sees that Jesus is condemned, and at this point we say, well, probably Judas had a different idea in mind what was going to happen if he betrayed Jesus. But we don't know. But he's remorseful. He's not actually sorry for the sin. He's sorry about the consequences of that sin. He's sorry that it didn't work out the way he wanted. And sometimes that's a bit like us. We, get, we, we try and repent of sin because we didn't like what happened. Not because we sinned but because we didn't like the outcome. And part of it is we, wanted, we were worried about the outcome. God is worried about the sin. We need to learn how to be truly sorry for doing the wrong thing, not because we got in trouble for the wrong thing or it had consequences we didn't like. We need to learn to be truly repentant of the sin. And as I reflect on this one for myself, I often wonder, am I worried about breaking the law when I speed? Or am I worried about getting caught speeding and having to tell my wife that I'm now four or $500 down and I haven't got quite as many points as I had before? Or am I really keen to obey the laws of the land? It's a fairly trivial example, I agree. There's a lot greater things that we worry about. Are we worried about saying the wrong thing to our spouse or worried that they'll be upset with us? Are we really repentant of the attitude that causes us to speak wrongly? Or are we just repentant that we get into trouble? So we need to learn how to be repent like Peter did and be sorry for the sin, not the consequences. And um, the other interesting thing about this passage is the Pharisees, as they talk about the 30 pieces of silver. Judas tries to give them back. I don't know whether he's trying to say, look, I don't want any part of this anymore. He throws them into the into the temple, which was the only place the priests could go, as though he's trying to indicate that they're, they're partly responsible. But they collect up the 30 pieces of silver. Hey, we don't want good money to go to waste. Now, we can't put them in the temple treasury because that's the price of blood. Ignoring the fact that the only reason it's the price of blood is because they arranged it. So it's they're, they're giving form that we, don't, we want to have the right appearance. We can't put blood money in the treasury. That's bad doesn't matter that we arranged that, that we are buying that blood, that we paid that price for the blood. Their, their sense of priorities is all messed up. And so we need to be very careful that we're not encouraging other people to sin while avoiding it ourselves. And the best example I could come up with 
was a couple of years ago, my fence is down, got to, relate, got to talk to my neighbours, well, we've got to get the fence fixed, we've got to split the bill. So I asked someone to, to do the, um, the work on the fence. Unbeknownst to me, my neighbour's partner went up to them and said, oh look, uh, guys, could you do this for cash? And, and then you don't have to pay the G, you don't have to pay tax on it, you know, we won't say anything. And you give it away a bit cheaper. And uh, fortunately, the people I'd hired said, oh, we don't do that. We don't relate to this. And my, my neighbour's partner came to me and said, could we get someone else to do it? Because I'm sure we can arrange a cheaper price if someone will just take cash. So I said, no, I'm not interested in doing that. These guys were going to do it. Um, that's not what we do. That's not what I believe. Um, those two guys didn't really want to work for me again because they thought I might have arranged that. They were keen not to do the wrong thing. But it's really easy to say, and I've seen other people do the same sort of thing. If you take cash, you don't have to declare the GST, you get 5%, I get 5% off, we're all happy. I have, of course, have not done the wrong thing because I did not pay the GST, but I'm benefiting from it. So we've got to be careful not to encourage other people to sin so we get some benefit. But we still look okay. We can still say, no, I don't do that. Um, it'd be like driving somewhere with Richard and urging him to hurry up. I still get there earlier. I'm not speeding. Ooh. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that he speeds. Not, not at all. Um, but it's so easy for us to encourage other people to do things we wouldn't actually do because we want to look okay. But the Bible is clear that we take on that responsibility if we're urging other people to sin. It talks about millstones uh, around their neck for those who cause others to sin. So let's be careful. Let's try and be above any reproach, above the reproach of encouraging other people to sin uh, and above the reproach of sinning ourselves. The, um, the next section is the is 11 to 26, which is talking about Pilate. Pilate, according to all the historical documents, was not a very nice man. He was a Roman governor. He didn't really care for people. He was quite happy to put people to death because he didn't like them. Um, he just wanted to keep peace. He wanted to keep his bosses happy. Um, so it's really quite out of character that he wants to free Jesus. It's, it's nothing to him in many ways. And yet something about Jesus was so outstanding that he wanted to set him free. Apparently Jesus was so innocent that even Pilate, who didn't care about people, could see that he was innocent and that this was, this was not right. Now it could have been, some of it, that he didn't want to play the Jews' game. The Jews have delivered this guy up and said, oh, we want him dead. And Pilate's saying, well, I don't want to play your game. I'm not. So he knows the right thing to do. Regardless of his character, regardless of what he does and doesn't care about, he knows what the right thing to do is. But in the end, he doesn't do it because he's afraid of the consequences. He's afraid of a riot starting and he doesn't want to be responsible for that. So I guess for us it's often, do we, are we willing to do the right thing? Sometimes we know it. As Christians, we know a lot of stuff. At least I, I know a lot of stuff that I don't actually do. I'm aware of it. My knowledge of what's good and bad is sort of like this big, but my behaviour is sort of like this, and it's always been that way. And the more I know, the, 
the bigger that gap seems to get sometimes. But um, where do we draw the line on what we do? So at work, we have lots of interesting times. But just recently, I was faced with the prospect, one of the programs we use changed its licensing agreement. Now, the first thing is I had to read the licensing agreement, which is something I don't normally do. I don't know if you've seen those endless pages. They say, do you agree to this licence? How, how many people have actually read those licences? <laughs> yes, that's right. That's what I thought. Unfortunately, I don't have the pleasure of not reading them when I'm at work. So I read this licence and realised that we now had to pay money if we wanted to keep using it. So I had to tell my boss, oh, look, we need to buy a licence. It wasn't very expensive. And I said, oh, yeah, but we been using a free one for ages, couldn't we just keep doing that? Well, we could. And so I had to just basically say, look, if you, if you don't buy a licence, I'm going to stop using it on this date, which is the date they put. I've had to do that in the past, and in the past that could have cost me my job. This time it wasn't such a problem, since they can't fire me right at the moment. Um, but in the past, it could have actually cost me my job, because getting a licence was actually really hard because the people said you've got to have a licence but they didn't have anything in place to, for you to pay to get one. It was really awkward. Anyway, there's lots of things like that in, in the modern world. Rules that we're supposed to obey but are just inconvenient. Or maybe rules which we shouldn't be obeying but we do because we, ha we, we feel we want to avoid the consequences, it's not that big a deal. Are we willing to do the right thing when we know what the right thing is? The other interesting part about this, uh, this section of Pilate is that Matthew throws in, the Jews, God's people, couldn't hear God's voice about Jesus. Couldn't hear it. And yet this Gentile woman is somehow in touch enough with God to say, no, don't have anything to do with him. That's, that's the wrong thing to do. God speaks through non-Christians sometimes. We can't just necessarily ignore. When they're suggesting maybe we want to act a certain way, we can't just ignore them out of hand. Oh, you're not a Christian, what would you know? God sometimes ministers to us through the most, the strangest ways. I mean, oh, damn it, prophets. Oh, Balaam's ass, Balaam's donkey. <laughs> um... That, I mean, that's one of my favourite passages. People say, how can you get up and speak? I said, if God can speak through a donkey, he can certainly speak through me. So we don't need to be too self-conscious. If you're ever self-conscious about getting up here and sharing, just remember, God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you too. Don't be afraid. Be willing to be a donkey for Jesus. So, who are you laughing at? I know I have a resemblance, but it's okay. But we need to be willing to listen for God's voice when it comes to at us in the strangest way. And maybe it'll be, maybe we'll need to filter a little bit, but often their complaints might be justified and we need to pay attention to it and not be so caught up in our own view of the world and our own limited experience in that. And certainly that was my, re my, re my reaction when I was younger to um, the gay issue. I mean, when I was brought up, gay bashing was a perfectly legitimate thing to do, as far as I know. No one would have said anything. It seemed to happen a lot. The, uh, the laws seemed to protect people who were doing it. I didn't think much of it. I wasn't gay. I didn't have any gay friends. It wasn't an issue to me. But as I grew older, I realised there's people around that are gay. 
that it's the deal thing they have to deal with, it starts to become an issue and I start to understand more of the way they have to live and the way they were forced to live and the way that that was not what God wanted to do. That's not necessarily saying, I think that what the, the way they're living is right or wrong. It's just difficult. But I also understand that my sins of greed, avarice, arrogance are actually more offensive to God, I think, than the physical, than the physical sin that the gay people involve in. So I can't judge them because it's not an area that I'm that I'm guilty of. It's really easy to judge people that don't, that have that aren't good in areas where I'm not. Like it's really easy to judge all you people who aren't right on time for church because I'm really good at that. And I shouldn't be. It's it's no better to be on time or late. Particularly, we all have different things going on. When I was younger, that was a much harder statement to make. Being on time was really important to me. <laughs> so anyone who was late. That was showing lack of faith, lack of dedication. It wasn't until um, when I was in my last church and I was I was getting upset and the pastor said to me, but this is a place that's open to God and, and these people are more comfortable coming a bit late, so we start late, so that's okay. And Sundays is supposed to be wholly dedicated to God, so it doesn't matter if we wait 15 minutes to start. I didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> I had to think about it a lot and then I... It, it was a long, it was a couple of months and I realised, okay, Sundays needs to be dedicated to God. If we're a bit late, that's okay. I can live with that if that means other people are more comfortable to turn up. We stopped that being that comfortable when they started getting 25, 30 minutes late and we'd pull it back to 10, then we'd go back to 10, 15. Then pull. But the goal was to honour God in that day. So it wasn't about turning up, getting church done, getting out of there which it was when I was younger. That was just another task. You got there, you did it, you got out. And so Sundays was, was more for me. Uh, it, it evolved into a place where worshipping God meant other things took second place for me. If someone said, can you make it here? I said, oh, I'll get there when, I, when church finishes. Not I'll, I'll be there, because intellectually, if I say I'm going to be there at one o'clock, I have all sorts of problems if I'm not going to be able to be there for one o'clock. If Todd was talking about something really deep, I said, Thanks, Todd. That's that's great. But actually, I've got to go. I've got to be. I've got to be somewhere relatively unimportant because I said I'd be there. Not the right attitude, as we're trying to honour God in our, in our conversations, in our actions. So for me, that means I don't commit to solid times on Sundays because I want to. I want to preference fellowship and working with people above my own need to be on time. I still have that need to be on time, which is why I have to change the way I say reply to people when they ask me to do things on Sundays. I'm so glad John and Katie's wedding's on a Saturday now. Because I would have had all sorts of trouble <laughs> turning up to a wedding on Sunday if I couldn't come to church first. And if I could come to church first, I'd go, oh, am I going to have to speak to get there? Because I need to be on time. Oh, it's, it's such a mess in my head. It really is. But one of the key areas I see a lot of young people struggling with about doing the right thing is in copyright. Our current society, it's so easy to break copyright. It's, it's, in fact, it's really hard, it's often hard not to break copyright. Um, I would argue there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a vague chance we're breaking copyright with the songs when Nate plays them like that. Because we're putting it on Zoom, we're actually broadcasting it. At the letter of the law, that's really awkward. <laughs> because we don't buy a licence to broadcast those songs. I don't think anyone's going to care, 
I don't think it's a big enough deal for me to worry about, since our audience is about five. <laughs> but it's, we need to be sensible as well. We need to try and balance these things. That's, that's a much smaller area. But copyright is really difficult. The number of times people say, oh, let's watch this. And the quality is really, well, it used to be the quality is really obvious that it's a pirate. I get up and leave. That's not going to happen. Nowadays, it's much harder to tell what's pirated and what isn't. Because it's all digital, it's so easy to just make an exact copy. Are we willing to do the right thing? So the last section that we look at is uh, verses 27 to 31. And the first thing this does is it completes the picture of rejection that Jesus faces. Jesus has now been rejected by God's people, his friends, and the, the, the Romans cohort here represents the rest of the world. Jesus is now rejected by everybody at this point. No one will stand with him. No one will, no one will support him. And it's also a picture of immense, immense cruelty, but that was, that was fairly common in ancient times. Um, the, only, the thing that exacerbates the image is the fact that we know that Jesus was innocent. There was in no way that he deserved this. It's on us. The, um, I mean, and there's a lot, a lot, lot could be said about that. I think the, the, the Mel Gibson movie, whose name eludes me, but it's worth watching once or twice. Um, not something I'd show my kids. It's, it's pretty horrific, but he captures it really well. I think the, the pain that was, was happening. So. Oh, the Passion of the Christ, that's it? Yep. I have got a copy of it somewhere, but um, I couldn't find it anywhere to get the name. So it's, it's a great, great movie to watch. But it's not something you want to watch as a, oh, you know, I'm, I'm having a, a relaxing night. I'm just going to watch this feel-good movie. And not, not, not in that right, Rich. But good to be reminded of what he suffered for us. But um, the other interesting thing one of the commentators said, it wasn't one of the wasn't one of these commentators who writes big books. They're all much more academic. He said, this other commentator said, oh, this is actually also a picture of um, false worship. If you think about it, they dress Jesus up like a king. They give him a robe. They say all the right words, hail Jesus, and then they start beating him. And it draws the conclusion that often our worship can be false, even though we're saying all the right words. And I, I tried to think of solid examples of this, and I wasn't actually... I couldn't think of things that would work for me. But was, it was much easier to find a picture of what real worship is. And I went to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, which says... I urge you, therefore, brethren, by your mercies of by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And the passage in James which says, the true religion is to look after widows and orphans, to look after the helpless. And I thought it was much more interesting to talk about true worship than false worship. Because I see here people 
but are busy doing that. All those things you think aren't really seen, they're not very visible, looking after the helpless are what is your true worship. And that's encouraging to know that that happens. One of the young men that I meet with uh, couldn't come this, this week because so, he let me you know because he was busy looking after his grandparents. Excellent reason not to come. And good to see that he had the time to do that and it had made it a priority to be part of that. It's good to see people looking after some of our, the members of our church who are getting older and are now in a position where they can't do anything. They probably don't want to, they probably wouldn't like being called weak and helpless, but in many ways that's the destiny of all of us as we get older, that one day we will be in that position. It's good to see that we belong to a congregation of people who express some of their love of God by loving other people in ways that they're not shouting about, they're not making a big deal, because that's how God wants us to live, looking after the weak and helpless and honouring him in that way. And it's a tall bar to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's a really tall bar, and I have to ask myself often, am I trying to reach that bar or am I just saying, oh, actually, that's so tall, I don't think I'm going to give it a try now. I'm just worn out. The older I get, the more often I'm saying I'm worn out, I tell you. Um, because it takes effort to make choices against the world, to make choices where everyone else says, well, why would you do that? You know, why don't I, what, John, why don't you go out and buy that bigger TV? You like TV. I love TV. I'd love to have a bigger TV. But I don't really want to spend any more time than I already spend in front of the TV. I probably have better things to do with my money than buy a really nice Sony. Oh, it's very nice. Um, because I, I love, that's, that's one of the few ways I like to relax. Well, I used to before I had kids, but now I've got to watch kids' movies. It's not so relaxing to watch Barbie. It's really... It's stressful. <laughs> Absolutely. Some of the things they teach you in those kids' movies are horrible. Um... But it's, it's actually quite scary, some of the stuff that they, they put across in the kids' movies. You have to be careful um, what you let your kids watch. And then, then you have to watch the other stuff with them, and it's, that's just terrible. <laughs> Fortunately, one of my children is a teenager now, and so we can, we can start looking at some of the more acceptable M-rating movies. There's not many of them, but there's a few. Space ones. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but we need to be discontent if we're not if we're not aiming for the bar. We we need to try and be discontent with our lives and start striving to live in ways that will honour God. So we probably need each other to help us with that. Um, one of the things the Bible is big on is that we often don't understand ourselves very well. There's lots of things about me that I can't know that only other people who're looking on can know about me. Um, the Bible has two passages which I love, which is one in Jeremiah 17, 9, which says the heart is uh, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? It follows it up with a, passage, with a verse that says God can know your heart. So spend time with God asking him to show you your heart, to show you your motivations, to help you understand when you're wrong and also to help you understand when you're right. Some of us have this big trouble that we can't see when we do good things. We're convinced we always do the bad. Sometimes we need God to show us that we've actually done good. The other one I like is in Genesis 6-5. And God looked down and he saw that every intention of man's heart was only evil continually. 
that's a that's sort of a scary thing that that our intentions are evil most of the time. You have to define what you think evil is, but basically, I define it simply as, as against God. It might not be evil in society sense. Looking out for myself in our current society is exactly what they want us to do. But before God, that's evil. We need to be looking to God first. And that's that's pretty much all I have for this half of the chapter. I'm back in two weeks or maybe three weeks, I can't remember now, with the second half of the chapter where Jesus is actually crucified. Have a read and have a think. We're leading up we're gradually getting towards Easter. Rapidly approaching quarter of the year has gone. Third of the year. Oof. Yeah. Thank you very much for your attention. It's all yours, mate. All right, cool. Thank you.